Welcome to another episode of Riots, Ropes, and Rasters. Uh, I am your host, John. I am joined once again with uh, the the main man behind this show, Justin. And we're going to dive into another uh, fun, exciting time. Uh, one a little bit closer, at least uh, an event that occurred in, in my lifetime. <laughs> Although not by much, uh, but a little bit. Uh, 1997 things get a little bit rowdy at a wwe house show in little rock arkansas why don't why don't you lead us where we're going but first why don't you say hi to everybody hey hello i'm back and my research is done and i'm not gonna make the same mistakes i did last time so <laughs> hey man um, you know i feel like we did uh we did like in wrestling right we leaned into the yeah. bit and I love we it. did. Hey, it worked <laughs> out great. I am not complaining. Um, no, I'm I'm glad to be back. It's the weather is horrible here uh, right now. Um, but Same no, here. I, We're uh, getting some snow. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I've had a pretty long week at work, and still one way one day to go, providing the weather allows. And we're supposed to get a bunch of snow, so I don't know how that's going to go. But I've uh, just been doing my research and watching a lot of wrestling lately hey there we go i love it i love it well yeah well you know i mentioned what it was when it was and and kind of where it was and that's about it and you know to be completely candid that's that's not too much more you know there's not too much more that i know beyond that so i'm I'm really gonna hand it to you here what what should we start with where should we begin with this we need to begin by going back to the context of 1997, December of 97. Um, WWE was just beginning the Attitude Era, really, really going full steam into the Attitude Era. Um, things weren't working out great. Uh, WCW was still way ahead of wwe as far as ratings and popularity um the numbers if you go back and check online were just astronomically different between the two um at one point in time something like a third of every american household was watching wcw on monday nights um wwe did not come anywhere close so these were still kind of lean days for WWE, they had been coming off of the whole steroid incident a few years before, um, and more specifically to the event we're going to be talking about. This is only five weeks after Montreal, after the screw job with Bret Hart. Ooh. Bret is now a full-fledged contracted wrestler to WCW, um, and Vince McMahon has been going on air in a somewhat out-of-character position position to uh break kayfabe so to speak and tell everybody about how brett screwed brett and and it wasn't his fault and vince mcmahon's fault and so wwe loyalists that had stuck around through all the nonsense and through the steroid trials and and all the craziness what few there were at that point they weren't really in the mood to be messed with they what they just wanted to see a good show and unfortunately, that's not what they got. Um, 
so so for context wwe is in a really really awkward position right now they're not doing well financially they are not doing well on television their house show attendance is minuscule sometimes under a thousand um they are not drawing for tv they're running stadiums or they're running arenas that hold less than five thousand people and they're still not filling them for their tv tapings uh, this wow. just isn't a good time. Yeah, this is and, a real bad, bad era happening right, right now for for old WWE. Vince has got some uh, got some bad things going on because we're not. And remind me if I'm wrong in this, but we're not too far away from. I don't remember before or after, but from the the steroid scandal hitting, as well. Yeah, we're so, just after. Yeah, so we're, we're in some, we're just some after that. tough days for Vinny Mac right. and the funky bunch there at the WWE. Uh, and the other thing, and, and I think this needs to be pointed out, is Steve Austin was was beginning the Stone Cold era, but that was still very new. And nobody really knew what Steve was going to turn out to be. And so at that point, there was no reliance except... Shawn Michaels, Triple H, The Undertaker, The Rock, and Kane. They were the only ones at the time that could still draw. And Shawn Michaels was a heat magnet anyway. Um, I think people that see Shawn Michaels now or younger listeners that may see Shawn Michaels working in his NXT role or or you know talking on... Um, the stone cold podcast or sharing his religious beliefs on various outlets on television and, and podcasts. The man we're talking about was not the same man in 1997. Dear was, God. No, <laughs> this was a man who was by his own admission on a lot of prescription drugs uh, he was abusing them heavily. He was drinking heavily. Uh, he he was just in a bad place. This is the this is right around the time of the infamous "I've lost my smile" campaign that went on when Sean just decided he needed to go home for a little while. Um, but he's back, and he is now. He and Hunter are getting their way, and WWE is is going full on into this more. ECW style of presentation, more of a risque presentation. Um, at, at one point, Hulk Hogan himself on live TV on Nitro said, "If you don't like what I'm saying, switch to the other channel and watch Triple X porno wrestling." And Jesus. that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of what the view of what WWE was doing was to everyone outside of that tiny tiny little fan base the loyalists like i said earlier that just really stuck with them and that's important that's why i said it again because there weren't many fans left at that point and there was no guarantee they were coming back right at that point um so and i know that there were a lot of factors that uh, that went into uh, this what we're about to talk about but it wasn't the time to put on a bad show. Right. And unfortunately, in December of, of 97, a lot of people, a lot of the key core talent were injured or were nursing. 
Well, and that's and that's yeah. that's the core talent that, as you've already alluded to, to some extent, uh, at this time, a lot of that core talent were having to become superstars because a lot of the big superstars left to go elsewhere. <laughs> exactly. So, these were green wrestlers. These yeah. were guys, you know, I think we forget that guys like Steve Austin, guys like The Rock, guys like The Undertaker that just became these iconic figures. You know, they started somewhere. Right. And for some of them, now The Undertaker was pretty well established by this point, and Steve Austin had a pretty good pedigree coming in. But you look at guys like The Rock or, or Mick Foley, who was beloved on the indie circuit, but yeah, and not so much in the mainstream. You know, these guys had to step it up and do it. Oh yeah. Or there wasn't going to be a company left. It, right. This wasn't a matter of hey, we're just getting our asses kicked in the ratings. This was a matter of do we keep going with this product we call W at the time WWF. And so there was only a handful of guys that could keep it going because everybody else had jumped ship to WCW. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, mainly lighter schedules and bigger contracts. Um, at the Money time, talks. Really, yeah, at the time, Vince really wasn't offering guarantees. And Eric Bischoff, bitch, excuse me, Eric Bischoff certainly was offering guarantees. No, no, it's so okay. Most... You nailed it. From a WWE <laughs> perspective, Eric Bischoff is right. <laughs> uh, but this is the environment that the wrestlers are facing, much less the environment that the crowd is, is looking at. But again, in December of that year, everybody was either hurt or working hurt. So that meant match quality wasn't great. Um, we were still, we still hadn't quite hit the, the grab and smash uh, Vince Russo era, but matches were still on house shows. The average match ran about 10 to 15 main event, usually about 20. Um, on this tour, however, this was a run through the South, just below the Bible belt through Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, everybody was working hurt. And really this all started then on December 14th, the night before in Memphis, Tennessee, um, there had been a, a planned house show. It was going to be kind of a, a, a play to the crowd because in Memphis, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me time you out real quick. Cause you've thrown mm -hmm. the term out a few times and, and uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans know the term, but if they're a new listener, uh, or maybe newer to wrestling, what what the hell is a house show? Are they, you know, are they pulling okay. up to uh, to somebody's rich <laughs> uncle and, and having the kegger in the backyard? Like, what, well, in some cases, about? that may not may not have been too far off in the seventies, but uh, no, a house show or otherwise known as an arena show. These are non televised events. These are let's go to a B town and a town as far as draw drawing power, as far as how much, how many tickets are going to be sold. Um, a house show is where you go in between your big events. It was a way for wrestlers to practice the matches for the pay-per-views and for TV. And it was a way to test out the audience to see if they would buy this. Do you like these two wrestling each other? 
let's throw it out and nobody's going to know except you guys and, and you're going to gate. And at times Vince McMahon would walk to the ring and say, okay, I want everybody to pretend for a little while. And he would have a wrestler walk out with the world title mm-hmm. and gauge the reaction of the crowd. And if the crowd went ape shit, then that person was probably going to be moved up the ladder a little bit. And that's kind of what house shows were in those days. Uh, prior to that, the house show was how you made money. Uh, in the territory okay. days, you had to keep, you ran loops through your territory. It was just like the carnivals. The carnivals ran old, they would run territorial loops. They'd go to the Northeast and run a loop. They'd go to the Southwest and run a loop and everywhere across the country. And that's what you did you ran your territory if you were memphis based out of memphis tennessee um for a long time it was controlled by nick Goulas, but Goulas got old and got pushed out by the jarrett's and that's a whole nother podcast but (laughs) the point is if you were if your territory was based in memphis you would run the entire state of Tennessee, and you'd also jump into some of the adjoining states, possibly, depending on how big your territory was. And so the house shows back then put money in the bank. Your TV was there to put the audience in the arena. That was the whole point. And it's always kind of been that way, and it stayed that way. you You watch nowadays, watch AEW, watch WWE, watch whatever there's some good stuff going there's a lot better stuff going on television now than there was in the 80s but it's still drawing you to the pay-per-view or drawing you to the next big event right it's all to get you it's it's bridging yeah it's bridging okay right no that all that all makes a lot of sense that all makes a lot of sense so taking it back we're in 1997 we're in memphis tennessee the day before shit goes haywire in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay, so we're in Memphis. The show was put together kind of as a a, a, a nod to the Memphis crowd. Uh, Memphis had always, Memphis had been the only territory to survive other than, well, I was going to say other than Jim Crockett, but Crockett didn't survive. His company did with WCW. Um, but Memphis was the only place that survived the push when McMahon came through and wiped everybody out and they were also the place that were willing to work with WWE the most as far as training young talent and giving young talent and older talent sometimes a place to go and something to do to justify getting paid what they were being paid so WWE always was very good to Memphis and the owner or part owner at the time of Memphis Championship Wrestling was Jerry the King Lawler, who at the time in 97 was working as an announcer with with Jim Ross and sometimes Vince McMahon um, on the Raw broadcast. And occasionally he'd do interviews and promos in the ring. And every once in a while, every great while he'd wrestle. Um, Jeff Jarrett was still with WWE at this point. He had not jumped ship for the second time to WCW yet, but he was close. And Jeff Jarrett is the son of Jerry Jarrett, who was the co-promoter and co-owner with Jerry Lawler of Memphis Wrestling. The Jarrett family Ah. is deeply embedded in wrestling in Tennessee, 
always has okay. been um going all the way back to the early 1900s the Jarrett family and the welch family who later became known in wrestling as the fullers um they controlled tennessee from the beginning promote if you wanted to run wrestling boxing or the circus into the state of tennessee you went through the Jarretts. you went through those guys you know it's, yeah. it, we've talked about it before and this will you know a whole different show um but boy wrestling uh wrestling back in the day especially definitely took some some keynotes from you know the mob the mafia oh without a doubt <laughs> how they structured some things that you know this is our territory you don't cross into it without our permission you know we well without going a deal like it's it's crazy without going too far down the rabbit hole on that one i mean the nwa was was known as one step above organized crime then they were even uh there were congressional hearings in the 50s on the national wrestling alliance um they were initially the public was told that they were being done for monopolization purposes because the national wrestling alliance controlled professional wrestling in the united states and most of north america um kind of like wwe these days and uh <laughs> but uh they were investigated and it the truth behind it and it was released in a book and released by the government later you can go to the Library of Congress website, I'm probably going to find it, everything you need to know. But it was done specifically because they wanted to see if professional wrestling, if the National Wrestling Alliance was genuinely a organized crime organization. Um, they had direct ties to the mafia uh, due to needing the unions and the truck drivers and and everybody to help set up for the arenas and tear down and you had to run a show you know and vince mcmahon's father was more or less proven to be in league with the colombo crime family in new york so hey man you gotta so yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes <laughs> to run a run a business around here you know what i'm saying <laughs> but back to back to the point here. Um, so Jerry, Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Lawler were supposed to be in the main event and they were going to go against uh, the newly formed DX of uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H and China. Um, but Which they there's didn't a get... whole episode on those guys. Dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, remember, this is a different Shawn Michaels. This is not the born again christian family man lovable sean michaels and i, I also a, i need to i need to work in here a little bit too in case anyone doesn't realize not as drastically as sean michaels but it's also a very different triple h paul levesque absolutely. Uh, very different man than the man you might see running around today yeah it's it's i'm i'm not sure if paul had uh had locked himself in with stephanie yet behind the scenes uh but it was definitely it would be soon um so yeah these guys weren't the you know the 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 heir apparent maybe not now but the heir apparent to the company and the beloved 
showstopper. You know, these were different guys. They were young. Right. They were in their late twenties. They were making huge amounts of money. Um, even though WWE was in a bad way, Michaels was making his money off of merchandising and outside gigs and things like that. Not wrestling, but doing uh, appearances and things. Yeah, yeah, appearances and things like that. They were, now Triple H stories have always been he didn't do drugs, he didn't drink. He was there to keep everybody in line. Maybe so. But Shawn Michaels was giving him a run for his money. I mean, he was making him earn his spot because Michaels, and again, this is not hearsay or rumor. This can all be found in Michaels' own books and, and in interviews. Uh, he was not a nice person to be around. He, he was having a lot of emotional issues. He was having a lot of drug-related issues. He was having a lot of personal issues at home with his wife. and. It just wasn't a good time. Now, he was the WWE champion, but this is, again, five weeks after uh, the screw job. Montreal, after the screw job. So that's how he wins the title. Um, but that was going to be the main event. And unfortunately, nobody got that far because the rest of the card looked impressive on paper. Right. There were matches. Um, uh, Kane was taking on X-Pac. Yeah. Um, the Rock and The Undertaker were doing casket matches. Um, you know, DX was there. You know, and all there were a lot of things that were promoted for these for this show, and the crowd got them, but they didn't get them the way they expected to because again, everybody was working hurt. So they got The Undertaker versus The Rock in a casket match, but they only got it for five minutes. And then it was over. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah. I'd be real pissed. The Kane X-Pac match apparently never actually started because both of them were nursing some pretty serious injuries at that time. And couldn't do much, so they just kind of had them beat each other up on the way to the ring, around the ring, and then back into the back. And that was the end of that. The, the classic WWE, we're not going to have this fucking match. You know, the, mm -hmm. the somebody walks out for their entrance, they get jumped, we do the whole loop. And mm -hmm. then, and then you know, you get, you get Jerry throwing a couple, oh my god! Oh my, they haven't even <laughs> rang the damn bell. <laughs> you know, uh, I love that man. So to clarify that, that is a truly an, uh, a tribute to, not a mockery of. Um, but exactly. yeah, so. Um, well, there were a lot of other things going on that night too. Uh, there were only 20 security guards. They were local. Oh. Um, they, they were licensed security, but they were basically made up of young wrestlers that Lawler went and plucked out of his uh, little territory there and said, okay, if you guys can handle this, then we'll talk about a push, you know, or we'll move you to the next step. All right. All right. It's not an uncommon thing. We talked about it in the last show, how security even in the nineties was kind of whoever you put a t-shirt on and, and call them security. Um, it wasn't <laughs> uncommon and it wasn't something that anyone gave a second thought to. 
now the question of why were there only 20 probably because that's all that was available right so had there been 50 available there probably would have been 50 but it was memphis memphis is a as i said earlier has been involved in professional wrestling since the early 1900s memphis loves their wrestling they love it silly they love it corny they love it violent they love it whatever way you give it to them just give it to them yeah Problem was, again, 20 security guards didn't have the experience, and this was the 90s, so things were changing rapidly from the way the rules were handled about Mm -hmm. things like this. They didn't check anybody when they walked through. They didn't pat anybody down. They didn't check anybody's bags. They didn't check any purses. They didn't check anything. So fans were allowed to walk into the, I think it was called the pyramid or something, the stadium down there in Memphis. Uh, they were allowed to just walk in with whatever they brought. And most Jesus. of them, yeah, <laughs> most of them brought their own alcohol because the establishment would only sell beer and wine coolers. And the majority of the Memphis wrestling crowd was used to the old Mid-South Coliseum and one of the biggest draws to Memphis overall was that Jarrett and Lawler would have bring your own booze night. That's amazing. And this, yeah, that, yeah, imagine 8,000 drunken Memphisites <laughs> every and Monday night. And all drunk off of God knows. Yeah, exactly. Like, like... And especially here in Memphis, you got you got some real life, true blue Kentucky clear going on down there. Mm -hmm. So they have not checked anybody. So everybody, not everybody, but the majority of the crowd has brought in their own libations for the night and they were getting rowdy from the beginning. Um, They weren't happy when they got there. It pretty much is what it came down to. Ticket prices had been raised. Uh, Memphis, and this is a term even a lot of people in wrestling aren't familiar with, is a walk-up town, it's called. A walk-up town means you're probably going to fill that building, but you're going to fill it day of. Mm -hmm. Advanced ticket sales aren't really a thing, or at least weren't around Memphis, Tennessee in those days they would you'd see a few hundred tickets maybe purchased ahead of time right and then day of the show there'd be a few thousand people standing in line at the box office waiting to get in so that's just how it worked so these folks had shown up expecting to pay whatever the cost was and they ended up having to pay like double now that didn't have anything to do with wwe that was the arena that was yeah the fans, however, were not aware of that, nor were they made aware of that until much later after the fact. Um, right. So they were already upset. They're bringing in their own booze. They're well, drinking heavily. Another thing that contribute, contributed to the upset, because uh, obviously, you know, while we're chatting here, I had, to, I had to pull up some stuff here as well, is that at one point, you know, not that WWE ever promoted it as a raw taping Mm -hmm. but a lot of folks thought 
Right. We're going to a Raw show. Uh, well, that was the next a night. Raw, yeah. A, oh, that was yeah. That was the next. That night would be the next night. Raw. That would be the fifteenth. Okay. That's no. You're right. That was the biggest catalyst for 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 what, what happens. Happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting uh, ahead of us. I'm getting ahead yeah, of us. And I'm them up. Um. But anyway, so the Memphis crowd is is boiling before the show even starts and then they start getting these three to five minute matches on average nine matches were scheduled they got eight because of what we'll talk about in a moment um and of those eight matches the longest one went 10 minutes so they had some big stars out there that drew a lot of attention, but they were hurt, so they weren't doing much, and stuff was just binging, banging, booming, and done. Damn. So then <laughs> it's time for the main event. Now, the crowd has already been warned once. The ring announcer, who was a local ring announcer that the crowd was very familiar with, Lawler used him for his own shows in Memphis, had been there forever. Um, he he was, you know, just one of the, the wrestling people in Memphis. So people respected him, and he rarely ever got any shit from the crowd. And usually, if he, he could usually calm the crowd down, he was a stand up comedian uh, professionally and did all this stuff. Um, he got on the mic and warned the crowd and said, calm it down or we're canceling the main event. Um, crowd kind of turned on him a little bit, which was a bit of a surprise. Now, most people in WWE at that time didn't get it, but Lawler and Jarrett sure did. And this is big time rumor, but rumor has it that Lawler went to whoever was running that show that night and said, I don't think we need, we need to bail out of here quick <laughs> because they're turning on him. We got a problem. And then everybody just kind of said, Oh, let's see what happens. Um, what ended up happening was, is that DX was going to come out first uh, for the main event. And on the way to the ring, a angry drunken Memphis crowd that was pissed off before they walked in the door, decided, fuck you, DX. A uh, few things started getting thrown. Um, glass beer bottles were sold at the arena. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Of and all so, sports audiences, the, the yeah. top three I could think of, I'd sell glass to are wrestling fans, football fans, and of course, most importantly, hockey fans. Mm-hmm. So glass bottles are being thrown. There were reports of uh, D batteries. Apparently that was a thing in the 90s. I never experienced it at any of the shows I ever went to, but I didn't attend a lot of WWF shows either. But D batteries, big, heavy, thick batteries would be thrown at wrestlers when they didn't like them. Uh, apparently some of those were flying around and Shawn Michaels got clocked in the face with a with a Coke, a paper cup full of Coke and ice. And that was enough for Sean. And so he got on the house mic and said, well, you guys were warned and you didn't listen. You're not getting the main event. And he and Hunter and China turn around and walk away to a chorus of booze and chants because the crowd thinks this is heel posturing and that they're going to come back. 
Mm. A little bit of time passes and they don't come back. And so Lawler goes out and tries to calm everybody down. At one point, Mick Foley runs out as dude love because somebody in the back said, somebody go out there that they like. And (laughs) he thinking Sean would realize don't be a dumbass and come back out here, gets in the ring and says, hey, I bet if y'all chant HBK, HBK really, really loud, he'll come back out. So they did. And he didn't. So Lawler, Lawler then gets on the mic and tries to settle everybody down. Now, this is Jerry the King fucking Lawler in Memphis, Tennessee, in front of his people, his crowd. Yeah. They started throwing shit at Lawler. Wow. And he bailed. He said it was the first time in almost like 25 years that he got in, even when he played the, the evil heel that he had trash thrown at him in the ring in Memphis. Wow. And now that kind of just fizzled out. The the crowd realized pretty quick that they weren't coming back out and that the main event wasn't happening. And then the ring announcer got back in and said, okay, guys, well, that's it. Have a nice night. Have a nice night. It's over. That's all, folks. And that one kind of fizzled, like I said, it kind of fizzled out. People were trying to get refunds and they weren't getting them. And it caused some, a few skirmishes at the, at the ticket booth. Uh, the local network affiliate that ran WWE uh, programming, syndicated programming, start, got over 500 calls that evening. Um, now, there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. But... Um, there was uh, a lot of fans who wanted to boycott WWE in Memphis. It was not the first time that happened. Um, when WWE decided to bring in Harley Race, they gave him the King of Wrestling gimmick, uh, and that started yeah. the King of the Ring tournament. And Lawler sued the shit out of him before he worked for him, saying, "You can use that everywhere in the world except Tennessee." Right. And he won because he proved that he was using that gimmick long before and he trademarked it. Nice. So, yeah, fans were considering. (laughs) Yeah. And at that point, fans did boycott WWE. Right. And so they were considering doing it again. But it just kind of became one of those. Oh, shit. Let's get the hell out of Memphis type of shows. You know, it was just this didn't work. Everything sucks. We know it. Let's just go on, get this over with. Because the next day they were going to Little Rock, Arkansas, December the 15th. And then when that was done, they were going home for 11 days to, for a Christmas vacation. Oh, okay. So this the is the entire like, company. Yeah. The entire company like was closing up shop. Yeah for 11 days so everybody is just chomping at the bit that you know okay let's get this show done over with and go home the card was similar to the night before in memphis they really were going to get the undertaker and the rock in a casket match uh they were going to get kane and somebody it was an xbox uh in a um I don't know that they would have, it would have been an inferno match at that point. I don't know if they had pulled 
trigger on that yet, but it was some kind of cane oriented match. Um, and then the main event, they were going to get Triple H with Shawn Michaels and China in his corner against what had originally been advertised as Dude Love, Mick Foley. Okay. But Mick, on his way out of the ring from trying to calm the crowd down, tripped and fell or did something. He kind of bumped his knee, and then there was an altercation backstage between Mick and Shawn Michaels because Mick's like, well, you fucked me. (laughs) Now they're mad at me. And in the process of this, apparently Mick got hurt. And so no one knew until they got there that no none of the fans knew until they got there that Mick was not going to be it wasn't going to be dude love in the main event now it was going to be Ken Shamrock um Ken Shamrock was going to have Danny Hodge in his corner Danny Hodge for those who don't know is a legendary amateur and professional wrestler um he was around for the NWA days he was a big star there he was legitimate um he competed on i believe i know he competed on a national level but he may have done uh, olympics i'm not sure um danny hodge is considered one of the reasons why amateur wrestling still exists and in professional wrestling danny hodge held almost as much regard um and in the little rock area he had been the equivalent of someone like a rick flair he was a huge huge star huge name yeah yeah the hometown hero exactly now they were going to also do and they did do um unfortunately a little award ceremony for hodge uh mid show kind of at the 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 uh, intermission point give everybody a chance to go to the bathroom yeah but they were going to give him this stretch. Award. Yeah, they were going to give him this award, and it was going to be this really nice little, you know, tribute to the legend. And instead, and Shawn Michaels. Well, no, Shawn Michaels was going to play an integral role in that because he had been trained very early in his career by Hodge, and he had always respected Hodge. And in the real world, Michael Hickenbottom, the real Shawn Michaels thought highly of hodge and wanted to be there during the presentation for this thing yeah unfortunately i don't know that anybody thought far enough ahead to think that michaels was drawing so much heat at that point that breaking kayfabe and having him come out to the ring and be good old sean giving danny hodge an award wasn't, wasn't gonna, gonna fly <laughs> yeah and so a hostile crowd that had gotten unfortunately on this night those matches lasted less than three minutes um they were also as we were talking about earlier believed that they were going to be at a raw table the all the promotional work all the local promotional work that had been handled by wwe uh, and the tickets printed on the tickets themselves um, said that it was going to be a house show or that it was going to be a raw taping. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the way, 
they changed their mind because in those days, WWE was doing one week live on a Monday and then they would do on a Tuesday the next week's Raw. Raw. Well, the 15th of December in 97 fell on a taped week. So this was just a house show and the fans showed up expecting a Raw. Big difference. Big difference. Big, big difference. No pyro, no cameras, no entrance stage, limited entrance music, no gimmicks, no nothing. The casket match consisted of The Rock and The Undertaker kind of fighting each other in the ring for a couple of minutes with a casket sitting next to it. I mean, that was it. When when undertaker dumped rocky into the casket he because rocky's back was messed up at that point he basically just rolled him out of the ring and rock fell into the casket and fans and attendants have said that you could see him pulling the lid down as he fell into the casket. wow yeah so this just was a mess so do we get to our danny hodge segment and a crowd that normally would have eaten this up. Ate them alive. <laughs> yeah, they did. They shit all over it. He got booed. The segment got booed. Shawn Michaels got booed heavily. Finally, they got Shawn out of the ring and tried to finish up the ceremony with Hodge. Hodge kind of took it in stride and just laughed it off. But for those that were in attendance, they said you could see that Hodge was upset. Not so much upset that the crowd had turned on him, but was pissed off that they put him in that position to begin with. Um, He didn't know Hodge had not been following professional wrestling. He was quite old at that point. And he didn't realize the kind of heat that Michaels drew. And so he apparently went backstage and this was one of the few people that, you know, Vince McMahon would kind of bow his head to. And Hodge went back. Give him a nod. Yeah. (laughs) Hodge would go backstage, went backstage and just lost his shit and said that they made a fool out of him. Damn. Um, but he said he'd still go out because, you know, he was old school and they, that was what you did. So yeah. once you gave your gonna, word, yeah, he was going to go out anyway. Well, Vince, it never got it's, that. It's a, it's a good thing that Vince learned from this and never screwed a returning legend. again. Yeah, I know you, was... you, yeah. I mean, the, the, the one and only Danny Hodge would be the guy that turned that, Vince around. Incredible. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. In a different universe somewhere out there. <laughs> somewhere. Um, but anyway, so we've got an angry crowd. We've got a crowd that thinks they're going to get a raw. They don't. We got a crowd that wants to see top stars. Well, they see them, but they don't see them for very long. We have them turn on a legend that normally they would have have lost their minds with joy to see even standing in the ring, much less getting an award. They were expecting McFoley in a main event that 
they didn't get because they were getting Ken Shamrock instead. Nobody could figure out what the connection between Shamrock and Danny Hodge was because the connection between Dude Love McFoley and Danny Hodge was Dude Love was one of Danny Hodge's long-term students. So it made sense. It didn't so right. much with Shamrock. Right. Shamrock has who said, is certified badass in real life yes oh yeah shamrock said i definitely knew who danny hodge was he said and i had a lot of respect for him however danny hodge had apparently not approved of the the burgeoning mma world and ah. shamrock had been a professional wrestler before he was a ufc fighter and an mma fighter but when he went to MMA and started doing that full time before he came back and wrestled for WWE, Hodge had apparently made some statements directed at him uh, specifically about how, you know, this you're not a fighter, you're a wrestler, this, you know, type of situation and yeah. go out there and compete. If you want to compete, go to a catch wrestling or whatever. Yeah, type of thing. So there wasn't a lot of love between Danny Hodge and, and Ken oh, Shamrock. Kim Shamrock. Yeah, okay. Damn. So you've already you've got just a hostile environment. Yeah, there there's you tension know, in the it, air from top to bottom. Right. And then you've got a rather hostile environment back in the locker room. And so it's just not a good thing. The wrestlers want to go home. The crowd wants to see something to make it worth showing up that night, and then it happened. Sean Mike, it's time for the main event. Sean Michaels, Triple H, China. The DX music is blasting. They come walking out to the ring, and before they come out from behind the curtain, from what most people in attendance have said, you couldn't see the floor because the fans started chucking whatever they had and Man. michaels and triple h and china did come out and they were they've all said that you know they thought okay this is the last show before vacation screw it whatever they do we're just gonna go out and have a quick bing bang boom get it done get out. yeah and so they come out to the ring and then Glass bottles again start being thrown. Sodas start being thrown. Shawn Michaels gets something that was... Uh, all anybody knows is that it was made out of paper. And it was probably a sign brought by one of the fans thinking they were going to be on TV. And then they found out they weren't. And I guess that just took him over the edge. Because while he's... And then while he's grabbing the microphone, Triple H gets hit in the face with a wad of tobacco. Oh, Ugh. and that was it. And Michaels gets on the mic and says, well, that just cost you your main event. Slams the mic down. Off they go. Crowd Jesus. once crowd once again thinks, well, this is heel shtick. They're going to come back. Um, and then they didn't. Unlike the night before. They didn't send anybody out to try to send the crowd home happy. Danny Hodge at this point requested to leave the building uh, because he knew 
he could feel what he was, was like coming. shit's going down i'm getting <laughs> the fuck out of it. i'm too old I'm an, for this shit. yeah i'm an old man and i ain't ready to die today <laughs> not for this shit um yeah, now i get it so the crowd's angry and finally and then the ring announcer gets in the ring and says you know sorry guys it's over go home well <laughs> they didn't go home uh fires were started flaming rolls of toilet paper were being thrown um glass bottles aplenty um fights were breaking out amongst the fans uh they attempted as always to storm the ring uh the 20 security guards were no match for somewhere in the area of 5000 drunken arkansas folk <laughs> um that decided they had had enough of wwe's bullshit and were going to make their feelings known if wwe wasn't going to put on a show by god they were exactly and that's exactly what happened. There is fan footage of this available online. You do have to take into consideration this is something shot by a camera phone in 1997. Um, it's not the greatest quality. And it's also being shot by someone who is desperately trying to get the hell out of this mass hysteria that is happening around them. What you see from this fan per perspective is what you would expect to see in a news report about you know and i'll date myself here a little bit as i always do but like the la riots or something like that you see people running around panicking you but at the same time you see people who are panicking who are also actively taking part in the destruction of this arena and the destruction of anything that has the WWF emblem on it at this point. Because, as many of them would say later when they were interviewed by the news and the police, that's what Bret Hart did when he got screwed. So we're going to do the same thing. This was a organized, disorganized, chaotic riot. They were trying to tear down every representation of World Wrestling Federation because their hero, who had been fucked over by the by the man, by the company, by Vince McMahon, that's what he did. So we're going to show him, too. Damn. Everybody that night had apparently just had an epiphany and decided, fuck it, we're going to tear down this this fucking show. And so they started tearing up the ring. They started tearing up the ringside area. They started tearing up the ring mats, the, the banners, the aprons, anything that had a WWE logo on it. And you have to remember that in these days, WWE was just starting with all of their promotional marketing work and everything. So every chair on the floor said World Wrestling Federation. Oh, fuck. Plenty of ammunition. <laughs> yeah. All of these were shipped in by WWE. These, this was, they didn't talk about it then, but this was the early days of the buy a ticket to WrestleMania, take your chair home with you as a souvenir. You got to take your chair home, a WWE chair got to go home. Well, tonight, on this night, all the WWE chairs turned into projectiles and pieces of metal, not wood, metal. Um, bonfires were started, but were quickly extinguished mainly by the crowd they i guess weren't ready for fires 
but, <laughs> yeah, they know their limits. Yeah. <laughs> now, the police were called, um, unlike most wrestling-related <laughs> riots or other issues that take place, the Memphis police were well-schooled on handling rowdy wrestling crowds because it was so, again, so ingrained in Memphis wrestling um, that they didn't mess around. They shot tear gas in hold from on, the hold beginning. Hold on, hold on, Are we in Memphis? Oh, or Little Rock. Rock. Little, Little Rock, yeah. Little Rock. Okay. I did it again. There we go. <laughs> anyway. There's always one. The police in little rock didn't mess around little rock is two hours away from memphis so a lot of the fans that were in attendance that night had been in memphis the night right. before they made and, the trip up and made the trip up and the police had gotten wind of this and so they did shoot tear gas in from the beginning there was no um questioning it there was no oh this is just wrestling um Doors came open, tear gas flew, and that got everything settled down. Then they went in in mass and got everybody out. The problem was once they got them out, they said, okay, riot's over. Go away. Your problem again, go home. And they started to back off. Well, all that did was take a, a, a liquored up, angry crowd that just got tear gassed and forced them into the parking lot where the box office is, where they are demanding refunds and getting told no. I, I have to interject here with a little bit of uh, I'm going to show my millennial with this one, but uh, there's a scene in a, in a SpongeBob episode where they have this problem uh, and this essentially the city is going to be destroyed and Patrick Starr makes the proposal. He goes, what if we just take the city and we move it over there? And that's what I'm picturing is like, they're like, what if we just take the rioters and we move them outside? <laughs> that's essentially what happened. Oh my God, I love it. There truly now, is a SpongeBob reference for everything. I, uh, no disrespect to the Little Rock, Arkansas police, uh, the, but, local, the, the local, the county, or the state that were present, but herding everybody out into the parking lot and then expecting them to just disperse. I don't understand that one, but that's what happened. Well, you know, these were simpler times. I guess. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, crowds at the box office demanding refunds and not getting them and being told bye-bye, you know, get out of here. Um, you know, again, we still only have 20 security guards and they're now outside trying to herd everybody away from the box office. There were several skirmishes outside. There were fights with security guards. Now, mind you, these security guards are, are trainee wrestlers brought from Memphis to Little Rock. So these guys are going to, they're going to fight back. <laughs> you know? right. And there were beatings in the parking lot. The police had to get involved again. Uh from the initial tear gassing where everybody just 
heard it out where no arrests were made, believe it or not. There were, I believe, 13 arrests were made due to the parking lot problems that eventually then required the state police to come in in a heavier presence, and that eventually calmed everything down. Um, There were arrests. Like I said, there were injuries this time around. Uh, A lot of times when these riots have taken place, it's been mainly just destruction to the venue or possibly going after the wrestlers. But uh, this one, there were people getting hurt. People were turning on each other um, in this one. Uh, Again, it was a really bad blemish on an already damaged WWE. Mm. Um, This was on the local news. This one did make coverage. And then when it hit the Little Rock news that night, then it got picked up by the Memphis news. Well, hey, we almost had the same damn thing go on here yesterday, you know. <coughs> right. We and managed then it... to cool it down, but Absolutely. so now you've got this going on ever you got this, you know, before the Christmas break. This is all over the damn news down south. Well, it, the internet was still iffy in these days, but it made it immediately prevalent everywhere if you had an internet connection or if you knew anybody that did and you were a wrestling fan they had already told you what went down in in memphis and in little rock wcw used it to their advantage as eric bischoff often did um he made very subtle references to it uh, the next week on Nitro, uh, he made subtle references to it on Mean Gene's 900 number. And I don't know if anybody remembers the 900 numbers, but before the internet, you could spend $3 a minute <laughs> to listen to a Ooh, recording of, of wrestlers tell you inside, quote, inside information that was typically already known anyway. Um, but it blew up. Um, and like, again, Bischoff used it to his advantage for the smart fans that knew what was going on. They, they got it. Uh, it got to the point where even the fans that didn't get it, he told them. Kind of figure, yeah. They, you, know. <laughs> you know, hey guys, this is what happens if you go to go to a WWF show. Um, so it really hurt WWE. Now they. They didn't. They never had as strong a presence in the South anyway as wcw did um the south was always difficult for wwe to conquer uh memphis was much more in tune with what lawler was doing which was a little bit more kitschy and and silly and cartoony or very old school um they weren't obviously nobody was happy you know the you had your memphis crowd that almost jumps and then you have your little rock crowd that does that was there were always going to be boiling points in an in arenas throughout the south when wwe was trying to put on a show depending on who they promoted that night right i gotcha i kind of think that maybe if I don't want to lay this all on the wrestlers because the ones that were hurt were hurt and they were still there doing it. So God love them. But maybe if the matches would have been a little better, a little longer, 
maybe if what was advertised was given whether or not they got a raw maybe they got a better house show than average you know right but this was Mick Foley actually being there you know the Danny Hodge situation I don't know there were a lot of factors that could have prevented this and none of them were really noticed at the time. I mean, nobody, everybody was just ready to go home and for that 11 days. And when I say go home for 11 days, the company went quiet for 11 days. That's how Vince did it back in the day. This was before they were public. It was still a privately owned, essentially mom and pop company, and he could shut it down whenever the fuck he felt like it. And he would before Christmas. So everybody could legitimately have a Christmas with their families. And so when all the backlash starts coming, there's no response from WWF. None. Yeah, they're like, fuck it, see ya. Yeah, they just, you know, we'll worry about this later. And so this just builds and builds and builds. And what internet is out there, it really took on a mind of its own. And it, it was a, it was a predecessor of things to come. It was very prophetic in the fact that it showed just how quickly this stuff grew because what's I'm not downplaying the riot at all. Like I said, there were arrests, there were injuries, there were obviously lawsuits plenty. And as always, um, but for the time that this happened for WWE to take that kind of hit, it pretty, was pretty well, pretty big deal. It could have ended things. You yeah. know, it, it could have brought this to a close. This is off subject a little bit, but kind of on it. WWE at this time, by Vince McMahon's own admission, um was one to two was a one to two million dollar loss away from closure from bankruptcy. Damn. Damn. And then you have this happen. You know, so all it ended up doing in the end, I think it drew a lot more fans away from WWF. You know, what that stronghold that they had of hardcores was getting a little sick of it. And they weren't liking what they were seeing and they weren't getting what they wanted and their st- all their favorites were going to WCW and a lot of the WWE loyalists back in those days. It, I remember it. I lived it. I was there. I was in it from a fan perspective. You were a WWF fan or you were a WCW fan. You could be an ECW fan and be a fan of both but you weren't going to be a fan of WWE and WCW. Right. One of the other pick a side. Yeah. So there were a lot of wrestling fans that shifted sides that went to W that started going to WCW shows and watching WCW that were then just as disillusioned when they got there, because by 97, it was becoming very clear that, that WCW was not working the way we all thought it did. Um, so it did cause a big schism almost in wrestling fandom at the time because it was like, well, okay, you for the past couple of years, 
we've been divided, you know, into one side or the other. And right. now both sides are kind of pissed off at what they're getting <laughs> from a WCW perspective. I was a WCW fan at this time. We got kicked straight in the balls a couple of weeks later at the end of December when we find a 1997 when we got what we thought was going to be the payoff to sting and hogan and we got it but it wasn't quite done the way we thought it should be (laughs) (laughs) so again i hate to i always hate to do this but you know another thing where there there certainly could be a whole episode on this but poor sting and the number of thing times that that happened to him exactly Uh, where uh, and the payoff sucks and it's usually never his fault so not to get us off on that rabbit trail no but i had to plug that in there uh so anyway bringing it bringing it back i think that obviously in the end it didn't hurt wwe that much um it kept them out of the south for a while um they quit running a lot of southern towns for a few years just to avoid shit i don't know if they thought it was just because it was down south or what but um fans on both ends of the spectrum were getting i think we were all it got so big everything got so big and then steve austin came and everything exploded you know changed yeah the nwo had changed wrestling there was no doubt about that it had changed everything but the nwo was getting boring and right we were all getting sick of seeing the same guys out there wrestling every week wcw pay-per-views were good because of the undercard you didn't buy a wcw pay-per-view to see the main event because the main event was going to be hulk hogan limping around the ring (laughs) against either randy savage roddy piper or kevin nash and then occasionally they'd throw a sting in there and hogan would beat the crap out of him and you know so it was just eh. and then steve austin came and the wrestling world changed again and wcw couldn't do anything to counter that Um, yeah you know and thank god for steve austin because i think without a force like stone cold and the rock and the undertaker if those three core guys had been well i mean they were injured and steve austin was injured badly but imagine if all three of them had a career ending injury in 1997 no rock like yeah no stone cold the entire no nature of it all. Yeah, the yeah. entire nature of the game is now different. The landscape looks vastly different. But at the end of the day, WWE got it. I, I believe somewhere along the line, they did uh, kind of revamp their advertising and marketing the early days of those departments uh, to kind of keep up pace. WWE did blame their marketing team publicly um they vince mcmahon nor the upper echelon took any fault in this whatsoever but they did publicly acknowledge that their marketing team had failed and that's about as far as they went with it 
Hey, but, somebody's got to get run over by that bus, and it wasn't yeah. going to be Vince. So, to the best of my knowledge, and to at least to something that would have exploded like this one did, WWE took did take steps to prevent something like this from happening again in the aspect of, you know, not making sure that what was advertised is what they got, um, making sure that, you know, if the wrestlers were able to go out and put on a good match, they would um, type of thing. Right. Um, they did try to kind of lean on the fact that all the wrestlers were hurt. Right. And that the fans should have just shut up and been happy that they were there. And that, you know, went over as well as you would have expected it to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, it's it's not our fault even more so because, like, you should have just fucking known. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically, that's what they was like. Hey, they were hurt. You know, just be happy that you got to see them. <laughs> you were um, in their presence. It's yeah, exactly. Like I said, WCW used it as as cannon fodder for a while just to get another dig in, and then you know everything went to hell over there. And we all know the rest is history. Again, came Stone Cold, and everything just changed. The the new era came yeah. in, and with that, you know, I think that we've done a pretty good job of really diving into this. 1997 Little Rock, Arkansas, with that that little taster there of Memphis the night before to to rev us up and, and get it going. But any final parting thoughts before we we wrap up here? On this one, not really, because like I said, there's there wasn't a whole lot of follow up. Um, there wasn't a need for it. Um, wrestling crowds in the 90s were probably the rowdiest they had ever been uh you would have to go back into the 50s before you would find a crowd situation like you would get in the 90s uh, i wasn't just a wwe thing to the best of my knowledge wcw never experienced riots but they did experience fan walkouts um like literally stood up and walked out of the arena in the middle of the show Jesus. because it was so bad uh ecw would have what they would call riots but a lot of that would be done intentionally not so much that the people in the crowd knew about it just that paul had told the wrestlers go out there and hit somebody go rev rev this shit up because that's right yeah right it just became part of wrestling extreme hardcore wrestling and the crowd might turn on you at some point um it did kind of stop wrestling wrestlers going out into the crowd as much um, because it was becoming clear that if the crowd wanted to be hostile, that they would be, and that they could be violent and that they could be rough and they would start trouble. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, this one didn't really have any effect. I mean, this wasn't like the Ernie Laddox Baker situation where the ripples, you know, went on forever this this happened it looked really bad wwe took yet another blow and soldiered on and yeah at the end of the day time ever. time marches on right like right um as far as closing this one up um uh, i hope i did a better job this time uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you knew uh, more you knew the cities 
No, I knew so, the city. And, and, yeah, well, you messed you up too on this one. So. You messed. Yes, you, you, yeah. you got two cities. So uh, that's some great improvement there. Exponential growth, you might say. Um, I think next time, and I'm not 100% sure about this one, but I think next time we're going to uh, dive into somebody that's very near and dear to my heart when it comes to Ooh. wrestling. Uh, All right. We're going to look at the situation that went down when Ric Flair, the nature boy, took the NWA title to the Caribbean. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, we can only imagine Caribbean. how good a time. Well, I can nature give you one hint. Uh, think hardware stores and hammers because they will play a key role in what we're going to talk about. Woo! I can't wait. I can't wait. But with that, we are going to close out here. I have been John. He has been Justin, the resident uh, wrestling aficionado and historian, Swiss cheese brain and all, for those of you that read the description <laughs> last time. Uh, nailed it this time. I'm so excited. Uh to to be back on this i'm excited for the next episode rick flair is a is got a lot going on there and uh especially during that era going down to the caribbean and oh boy hardware stores and hammers we can only imagine where we're going from there so with that we are going to sign off this was another episode of riots ropes and wrestlers right here under the rummed up reviews banner find us on twitter at rummed up reviews and anywhere you find podcasts.